0: Good morning and welcome to this week's episode of the Midweek Mini. I'm your host Andrea. Now I think it's safe to say that we've all had that feeling that someone is following us or somebody is watching us but what happens when that feeling goes from a hunch to a dangerous obsession? Well that's what we're talking about today on this week's Midweek Mini. presents Midweek Mini, and here's your host, Andrea Lee. Mary Lynn Witherspoon was what everyone who knew her described as the perfect southern belle. She had always been the first one to volunteer to help in any way she could. She had a heart of gold, and those um traits that she had followed her into her career as a teacher. Well, Mary Lynn married a doctor soon after college graduation, and together the couple had a daughter named Jane. But that marriage wasn't to last, and after a, f- a few years of marriage, the couple divorced. A few years after the divorce, Mary Lynn started dating a prominent Charleston lawyer named Edmonds Tennant Brown III. Edmonds had previously been married as well, and he had two children. One of those children was a son named Edmonds Tennant Brown IV, but he went by the name Tennant. He also had a daughter named Molly. Now, Tennant was 10 years old when his father started dating Mary Lynn in 1981. Edmunds and Mary Lynn's daughter really hit it off, and they seemed to get along just great, even better than he got along with his own children. And this caused a little bit of tension because his daughter, Molly, he resent, she resented all that, you know. Um, And I can kind of understand how that would cause, you know some hard feelings, but anyway, now Edmonds he did propose marriage several times throughout the relationship, but Mary Lynn didn't think it would be a great idea because of that tension from Molly. There was also the fact that Tennant was a bit of an odd duck. He was socially awkward, but despite that, and being the sweetheart of a person that Mary Lynn was... She tried extra hard to show Tennant extra attention, and include him, Hamley, in all of the family-type um, activities that they did. Tennant seemed to latch on, in an odd way, to Mary Lynn, and it made her very uncomfortable. After being in the relationship for about eight years, Mary Lynn ended it, and this was a bigger blow to Tennant than it was his father. Tennant was 18 years old when the couple broke up, but it was almost as if he was reliving his parents' divorce all over again. Not long after that, Tennant would start showing up at Mary Lynn's house on Trad Street unannounced for no reason, like he would just come over and just stand there in her house. Now, can we say creepy? Well, even though Mary Lynn found this behavior odd, it didn't frighten her. She'd known him since he was 10 years old, and she knew that he liked social graces. She thought maybe he had a little crush on her, and that's why he was behaving so oddly. Still, she really thought nothing of it because she didn't see him as a threat. In 1989, Mary Lynn went to stay with her mom in Sumter for just a little while, and things got a little weird while she was there. After she and her mom had went out for the day, or they returned, to find that her mom's home had been broken into. Nothing was missing, so that eased their minds, or at least for a little while it did. But once she got back home in Charleston and started unpacking from her trip, she realized that some of her clothes and makeup was missing. When she told her mom about it, her mom just knew right away that Tennant was responsible for the missing items. Marilyn's mom was so sure that he had taken her mom's... or that her daughter sorry about that... her daughter's belongings that she called him and told him that he needed to return them to Mary Lynn ASAP. Well, guess what happened? A few days after that, um, a bag mysteriously shows up in Mary Lynn's garage and the contents were the missing items. Now, Mary Lynn could see that um, tenant's behavior was getting more alarming, but she still refused to call the police on him. Well, in 1991, tenant's visits just stopped, so Mary Lynn sighed a, a breath of relief and started going back to a normal life. But when tenant was 30, he showed back up. And the fact that he was now a man made his behavior even more threatening, or it seemed more threatening. But she still didn't call law enforcement. So his showing up at just at random basically continued. One day in 2003, while Mary Lynn was doing laundry, she realized that every single pair of her underwear that she owned was missing. All of them. And, of course, she knew that Tennant was the only one who could be to blame for this. And, even then, she still didn't file a police report. Now, some of you may think that Mary Lynn should have taken action about all of this happening. And, just maybe it would have been, you know, nipped in the bud a long time ago. You can't shame a victim. And, knowing that Mary Lynn was the kindest, most trusting person... 't you know she she would have never thought that it would escalate the way that it did. Now she was proactive though she she didn't have like she did have this alarm system installed in her house and she also carried mace and she had a panic button on her carrying. so she really did try to stay safe. She also had a couple of friends who were cops so she mentioned the situation and they told her that they'd keep an eye on things. One afternoon, Mary Lynn caught Tennant standing in her backyard, and he was holding a pillowcase full of um, her clothes. Well, since he caught, um, well, since he got caught, sorry. Since he got caught, I'm sorry. Like, y'all, I'm dealing with vertigo again, and I do apologize. Um, I just didn't want to not do an episode today. But anyway, um, since he got caught, you would think that he'd have, like, hot it out of there, but no, he stood staring at Mary Lynn, and the stare was bone-chilling to say the least. One of her sisters told her that she was afraid for Mary Lynn's life and that she really did need to call the police, but at that point... Mary Lynn was more afraid of how Tennant would react if she did call the police and got them involved. Well, finally, her friends and family pressured her. After pressuring her constantly, she finally decided to report against him. He was arrested and charged with burglary. Now, Mary Lynn did feel some relief knowing that Tennant was in jail, but she knew that he wouldn't be in there long. So, she registered the um, with this system called VINE. It's a system that notifies the victim when their perpetrator is being transferred or released from jail. And she thought by doing this, she would know exactly when he was being released and she'd have time to prepare herself. This was a good thing, she thought. Well, on November the 14th, 2003, Mary Lynn didn't show up for work and this wasn't like her at all. The principal and a co-worker from the school she taught at drove to her home to check on her. When they got there, nothing looked out of place, and Mary Lynn's car wasn't there, but they just couldn't ignore the fact that something didn't feel right. So they called Mary Lynn's daughter, Jane. Jane was living in Rock Hill at the time, which is about three hours away from Charleston. And when they told her, you know, what was going on, she knew something wasn't right. So she and her husband headed straight for Charleston. She gave the police permission to go ahead and enter her mother's home without her being there, and when they entered the house, they immediately knew something was just not right. Something was terribly wrong. A lot of things were out of place, like a half-eaten apple laying by the front door, and as they went through the home, the scene didn't get any better. Upstairs in Maryland's sitting room, it looked like a bomb had went off, And Mary Lynn was known for, like, keeping a very neat house. When they entered Mary Lynn's bathroom, they found her naked body laying in a bathtub. Her hands and feet had been tied, and she had also been raped and strangled to death. All of Mary Lynn's friends and family immediately knew that Tennant had to be responsible for this, and Jane had even told the police that despite the fact that she thought he was still in jail... But they all would soon learn that only three months after being arrested for the burglary, Tennant had been released. But wasn't Mary Lynn supposed to be notified when he was released? Well, apparently the wrong information was put into the system, and they tried to call three times, but they didn't have the correct number. But when they couldn't reach her by phone, they were supposed to send a letter to her home, and they did but it arrived in her mailbox the day after she was murdered. When authorities realized that Tennant was no longer in jail, they started um, passing around a picture of him to hopefully locate him. And then they soon realized that he had been the same man seen walking around the neighborhood talking to Mary Lynn's neighbors while police were there at her house. Well, they decided to make it kind of look like They had left just to see if he would show back up. And sure enough, he did show up a little later to the scene. And when they started questioning him, he decided he needed a lawyer. But get this, he was walking around with Mary Lynn's keys. So they were able to arrest him right away. Now, as they were booking him into jail, they noticed that his brand new driver's license listed his address as Mary Lynn's address. And not only that, he was wearing Mary Lynn's clothes. Now, when Mary Lynn's car was recovered, they discovered a piece of paper where a tenant had been refining his skills at writing Mary Lynn's signature. But it gets weirder. A few days after Mary Lynn died, a package arrived on Mary Lynn's doorstep. It contained breast forms, a blonde wig, and makeup. Now, the weird part isn't that he wanted to dress like a female. I mean, that's following me. Y'all, I have no problem with that, and it's really not my business. But he ordered these items with Mary Lynn's credit card, y'all, and his plan was to take over her life. So, basically, he murdered her and was going to become her. DNA evidence did prove that Tennant had raped and murdered Mary Lynn Witherspoon. Later, police located a notebook that Tennant had kept when he was in jail for the burglary, and every single day he wrote in it about his plan to murder Mary Lynn and take over her life. He pled guilty to Mary Lynn's murder, and because her family didn't want to be dragged through her murder trial for a second time, like all the details and everything, they opted out of a court trial. Tennant was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of Mary Lynn Weatherspoon, but still Mary Lynn's family was beyond mad at all the system screw ups that led her murder or led to her murder. And in two thousand five her sister Jackie wrote a letter to the South Carolina Congress and gave the details of her sister's case. Well they acknowledged that something had to change. And Mary Lynn's law was signed um, into law by who was governor then, and that was Mark Sanford. Following that, Mary Lynn's family sued the Charleston County Sheriff's Department for its faulty system that should have prevented Mary Lynn's murder. It's just terribly sad that a life ended so tragically when it very well could have been prevented if it hadn't been for a glitch in the system. And then there's another case that happened on February 15, February 2020, and it was in the Hollywood Hills area. A well-known sex therapist was murdered by an ex. She was 38-year-old Amy Harwick. Previously, Amy had filed restraining orders against her ex-boyfriend, Gareth Pursehouse. The most recent of those two restraining orders had just expired right before the tragic homicide took place. Apparently, the two had dated and lived together for a short time before that relationship fell apart. Friends say that she was afraid of him and had even told her friends that she was considering carrying mace or pepper spray. Court records obtained by the New York Daily showed that details had given her... um that she had given, sorry, when she filed for the restraining order, said that Pursehouse had previously choked her, suffocated her, pushed her against walls, kicked her, dropped her to the ground with force, force restrained her, slammed her head into the ground, and punched her with a closed fist. She had filed for the first restraining order after he had allegedly pushed her from a car. He also had broken into her apartment several times and one particular time he smashed 10 picture frames against the door and told her that things would get much worse but then he returned the next day to apologize and taped like four dozen roses to the entrance of her home about a month before she was killed Amy ran into um, Purse House at an event and this seemed to reignite the obsession that he had with her amy later told a friend that when he saw her there he went ballistic and he made a scene right there at the event they were at. another friend witnessed the behavior at the event and said that he quote went batshit crazy and that he was yelling and screaming end quote in the early morning hours of the murder police responded to a call about a woman screaming and when they arrived They found Amy's roommate outside who said they had escaped the apartment and came outside to call for help because Amy was being assaulted inside the apartment. Soon after they arrived, they found Amy's body lying on the ground under her um, third floor balcony. Like, I guess she dropped straight down. But anyway, she died later at the hospital. Purse House was arrested on February 18th on suspicion of murder and released on a two million dollar bond but he was rearrested just a few days later and charged with murder along with charges of first-degree residential burglary with special circumstances of lying in wait and that makes him eligible for the death penalty. House entered a uh, guilty plea or a not guilty plea sorry about that a not guilty plea but so far he hasn't went to trial and once he does Once that is all settled, um, I'll give an update on that case. Now, as you can see from both of these cases that we've talked about today, both victims knew their stalkers. Neither of the men involved were just some random person for either of these women. I think the biggest issue when it comes to stalking cases is that the laws aren't strict enough. And that's even if the state in question has any stalking laws. Fortunately, when Amy Lynn's law was signed into law, it made changes in how, like, stalkings are handled. And if you wanted to criticize Mary Lynn for not filing reports with the police and getting a restraining order against tenant, I hope that Amy's case opens your eyes. When someone has ill intentions toward another person, they really don't care about a piece of paper. Not one time that I could find Um, Has any stalker been served with those papers and thought, oh gee, I guess I'll stop now. And in both of these cases, I read that both Tennant and Gareth had mental issues, or mental health issues, sorry about that. And I'm not saying that's an excuse by any means, but a piece of paper definitely didn't or wouldn't have made a difference to them. Unfortunately, no amount of stricter laws or harsher punishment punishments are going to totally stop stalking evil will always exist mental health issues will always exist that's all i have for today's episode be sure to come back on friday for an all-new episode of what the friday and on saturday for the weekend weird files have a good rest of your week